Hey folks, and welcome to a Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing All Quiet on the Western Front, directed by Lewis Milestone, Sweet Smell of Success by Alexander McIndrick, Loving Vincent by Dorota Cobiella and Hugh Welchman, Vesper by Christina Boyzite and Bruno Samper, and finally newly released All Quiet on the Western Front, directed by Edward Berger. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, so going okay on this end, man. How was your uh, array of movies this week? <laughs> We're out of the spooky month. Oh, we are we are full out of the spooky month, and uh, you know how this week went. I, I it was pulling. He, could, he had it. He had it written all over his face when he walked in the room today, folks. <laughs> I was. I said to myself, "Oh boy, this is I, I don't know. I not not burnt out, but I, I was it was pulling teeth to get the five done this week. But let me tell you, it was a very special week because these are some very special films we get to talk about. So, and that's already good sounding because we go through. I love it that we got a 1930s to 22 film. Yeah, also kind of makes sense the way we're capping everything. Yeah, yeah, starting and capping the the episode off. Absolutely. Uh, you want to just get into it right away? Sure. Sure. Okay. So, folks, this is going back." to 1930 this is one of the biggest really movies of early cinema uh this is the original all quiet on the rest western front directed in 1930 the Mm. book came out i believe in 1929 yep yep and what do we get with this adaptation here like i said it's one of the biggest for the time it's still widely renowned it has some of the best oscar wins or Mm -hmm. the original oscar wins how does it hold up, and what do we get? Yeah, so this one, this one, I, I found myself very curious to check out after watching the, our new release this week, uh, the 2022 remaster or uh, remake that that Netflix released for All Quiet on the Western Front. Mainly because uh, you know the film history that it represents. You know, this film was made as we as we as you said, Tom, only one year after the main novel in the same name. It was the third annual Oscars winner for Best Picture and Best mm-hmm. Director. You know, credit to, to Lewis Milestone for for having such an early win, but I really found myself asking a very genuine question of, is this worth your time? So I was like, all right, that that's evidence oh. enough that I need to just jump in and watch this film. Uh, and, and story-wise, the concept here is near identical. You know, we follow a group of young German boys whisked up by the promise of glory. You know, soon, a- soon after them joining in on this the western front will define their lives physically uh, mentally and kind of regardless of whether the they escape the shells of war or not you know this 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 film is 
And, and this novel is is something incredible because it is so 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 staunchly anti-war for the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's also, as I commented, I'm always always happy to plug the Fred Astaire movies <laughs> for February. But <laughs> it's it's kind of surreal to watch these films. After World War One, mm-hmm. but also before World War Two, and how things are just talked about—it uh, really is a time capsule for that reason. And it's almost like when you read the book, you could almost—it could almost be after World War Two, and you yeah. can have the same exact book written for just sure. after the war, rather than this being in you know, well, 1929 when the book came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book banned in so many <laughs> European countries, oh, yeah. Germany and Italy, and it's Bur- just, burnings for, for oh, Germany. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. Just kind of going back. It's so crazy to have a 1930 be such an epic mm-hmm. after such a i don't know big time war film and like you said anti-war film and it's two and a half hours long yeah oh yeah how is <laughs> both th- of these are just real real yes. long movies it, for uh, ba- i won't say epics because it's that's kind of not the point to be epic mm, that's true uh, that's true but uh but yeah it, it, the big, I, big boys <laughs> yeah i mean for 1930 how was this production how did it keep you interested in 19 or for two and a half hours you know as far as sound and dialogue use and just sets that were used and everything like that i think i think the production is actually the highlight for me We, we see a surprising amount of engaging combat scenes for no less a 1930s film but also probably one of the first true war films Mm -hmm. that would be produced at the time uh and i would say primarily this goes towards just the sheer abundance of extras on the screen they are just able to do so much with so many living bodies and and obviously there is no chance that this is special effects or anything like that you know there's just a scale to this that is just very enjoyable to watch and it's almost impossible to say, oh, this is this is combat that holds up to modern productions of war right. or anything like that. Because, unfortunately, it's, it's not going to be the case right. here. Uh, I think, most of all, what dates the production of action in this is that there's a lot of sped-up footage uh, in this film. Uh, and Yeah, amateurish today to speed up footage like that through editing. Yeah. It's obviously an easy trick back in 1930 to, you know, one of the few editing tricks they probably had right, right. to speed things up. I, I think that's where it looks the most dated, but there's a lot of surprising elements. Uh, for instance, about 40 minutes in, there is a great action sequence in this original one where we're finally in the trenches of war mm. um, on the Western Front. It may sound simple, but... The way it's shot is that there's this simple dolly of the camera that is just going right across the screen, across the entire length of whatever this set that they built for the trench. And it's just a good way to show, sped up footage or not, just how big this this trench warfare was how yeah. large and how expansive and it represented scale really well yeah yeah which i think also you could actually say was better back in the day sure where they would be on huge sets yeah you know and, and all those extras i think that is mm, yeah. something i give credit to because it's it's impressive you know to to watch and also think about the production of how they wrangling you know <laughs> herding cats basically all those extras i believe uh, in yeah uniform and I, and I think most of the extra not most a lot of the extras mm-hmm. were uh real world war one Vets really used. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Yeah, he really wanted some things to be exact, or exactly yeah. if he had this group of people that were supposed to be doing something, he mm-hmm. wanted the people that actually did it in real life. Yes, yes. And, and I think there's a, a lot of credit that I put towards this film uh, being 
it's such a and again it's only one year before the novel comes out yeah I'll make this comparison later on but um, there's a great film post World War II called The Best Years of Our Lives mm-hmm. uh, that is a similar type of approach it's not exactly anti-war like uh, All Quiet on the Western Front but there is a a, a, a shared sentiment of kind of post-trauma uh, that these soldiers are facing and I think uh, a lot of credit goes towards this being such a fresh perspective coming off of the war yeah. there's there's probably a lot of realism that I can't even appreciate to the sets or to the environments and the atmosphere uh, that are that are put out there and, and you're only going to get from the realism of maybe you know some veterans or, or some actual soldiers from right. the war being on production with this um, I, I would say there's a great open uh, title in, in All Quiet on the Western Front 1930 that explains the point of the of the story flawlessly. It says the story is not uh, an accusation or confession and least of all an adventure. I mean, hmm. that, that kind of eliminates a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's striking it out. Uh, but um, it, it does kind of tune you into the fact that it's about war itself. It, though we're obviously focusing with individual characters, it's about critically examining the fantasy uh, of war, the fantasy of glory. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, this is a some some biting criticism. There's some biting commentary coming directly from the uh, the original author being a World War One vet and being so, so again, uh, f- uh, fiercely against war yeah. of, of any kind and trying to show the damage it's doing to youth specifically. Yeah, which you can imagine. I mean, especially for someone yeah. who was on the lines and someone who gets it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's certainly under- it's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, the the story and focus of being an anti-war film around World War One is is pretty compelling, and and for both of these films, I was I was driven by it. Um, this film has a floor, kind of on how low my rating will go, because I really do find that there is such a a, a wonderful execution to. The story itself and what the story, uh, the message it has to tell, whether it is back in the 30s or whether it's in modern day, uh, you know, being pushed out by Netflix. <laughs> uh, but uh, I would say there are some gripes here because <laughs> this is a very old film and we're showing some age for sure. I would say most of all is just the the tone bounces back and forth between very chipper and upbeat and then transforms on the warfront to shatter these illusions of glory for these young men. That is absolutely the focus of story in both of these. I would say, I have to be honest though, the chipper side on this interpretation of the film or of the story Mm -hmm. is just a bit hard to swallow sometimes. There's There's a scene where the soldiers see some French ladies walking by Mm -hmm. and uh, they are just so, (laughs) they're so provoked and and absolutely in love with these women because they haven't seen anything close. You know what I mean? Uh, Actually a plot point in both of the films is uh, taking a poster uh, of a woman Mm -hmm. and, and, and pinning it to their trench just to kind of, build some sort of morale, some sort of hope for life. A a perfect example of where I found this tone just to be conflicting in this first one, it comes right after one of the most emotional scenes where our main character, Paul, just stabbed someone in close quarters. (laughs) And... It's just, it's just the balance is yeah, not there. Yeah, yeah. It's just like okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I fully get the message of the dark side of war. I feel like it was just cheapened by how they layered it and how they edited it here. Um, 
Yeah, and, it's, it's okay to take you on that roller coaster, but you, it can't be so jarring. It yeah. can't be so back to back. Yeah. Uh, at, at minimum, it feels like the soldiers are just unaffected by the scenes we were just shown by mm, the audience. Sure. And I would say at worst, it delivers a polar opposite of the intended message of being anti-war that maybe there's camaraderie and maybe there's brotherhood in this war. And maybe that's still something that, you know, you should enlist for, mm-hmm. which is not the point of this story in any way. <laughs> this is the most anti-war story could get. So there's also a, a great scene, I think, where the dialogue of this original shines better than the remake. Uh, where they're talking about why are we fighting this war in the scene. And uh, it's another great example of good content awkwardly placed in this film. It's, it's, it's a tough dice roll for me. The, you know, This film has almost universal praise both then and now, and I'll be honest, it's just the acting that pulls a mm. good movie down a bit for me. Don't get me wrong, having the variance of happy moments with the soldiers contrasted by the horrors of war, it does effectively convey the the, the point of the story. However, you know, the, as the film progresses, the upbeat moments grow more and more inappropriate and, and again, kind of cheapen the message a, a little bit. Well, um, how was sound as far as dialogue goes? Like, was two and a half hours, was it heavy on dialogue? And how was it captured? Uh, much heavier on dialogue than our 2022 remake. Yeah, um, yeah. And I would say, in general... The dialogue was better. I didn't notice any kind of audio fragments like that were overdubbing or anything like that. Oh, okay, like okay. That. So syncing was okay. It was yeah. p- it was picking up in real time yeah. in the field. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, this was, you know, th- this film is so beloved and such a classic, again, third Oscar winner, basically. <laughs> uh, so I think that the, the the attention to maybe give this some love on re-releases, t- porting it to mm-hmm. digital, it probably got some more love than uh, another 1930s film right, that is right. out there. And different than from some of the older films that we were talking about recently in October as well, this is not a silent film in any sort of way. Totally you know, different there, film. There's a to- lot of yeah, dialogue. Totally different than the last two we've done, yeah. this old. Exactly. Don't don't think that this is a silent affair. You know, if anything, again, <laughs> to the detriment of this chipper acting, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of talking in this. So, kind of going back to some of the some of my notes with with the production, uh, specifically action sequences. Uh, it's very impressive, actually, the explosion and practical effects work. Okay. Uh, again, I think just because I realized that. <laughs> They're really detonating something. I mean, it's not you know, it's not shrapnel or anything like right. that. But they're detonating something on a you know on a film set, and there's a lot of this here. Uh, it's uh, it is impressive to look at, and I think it's very convincing, specifically for a 1930s film. I I look at an individual explosion. And I'm not saying. Oh, that doesn't look real. No, it looks real. So because it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> real practical old school facts. <laughs> right, people might have gotten injured. Who knows? You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think the film is also strategic in turning away from some action. In some part, I think really is a blessing to watching it in modern day. Um, I had to do some research into this. Uh, this film belongs into a part of pre-code movies. Uh, pre-code movies are like kind of pre-rating or any kind of critical rating to it. Um, yeah, I was I was seeing this term also. Yeah, it's pre-rating, but ratings didn't really start until six sixty-eight. Yeah, it's. I, I guess it, this period in time or these films that come yeah. out, they're they're saying that no one had any... I mean, they were just kind of released by the studios without any sort of review or anything like that. And obviously Ah. not talking about, like, you know, the quality of it. We're talking about content and and, and severity of it. 
It's just interesting. I, I, I was not how, experienced with that. No, so. and I will say, even with all the other older films we did, even mm-hmm. recently, that pre-code is the first time I read it. Yeah. Or it came up, and it was all quad on the Western front. Yeah, exactly. So Let's look into it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to this, I think the film though is strategic in you know it, maybe they could have gone really against the wall and had a lot to to give us in violence and, and and gore and whatnot. But I think the decision to cut away from gore and violence is so smart here because those up close effects are the ones that are not going to hold up and they're mm. not really shown here. So maybe that was some foresight into uh, you know they probably couldn't pull off the practical effects needed there for the severity of it. Right. And the film doesn't really have it. You could look at this and say, oh, well, it doesn't really have the punch. You know, it doesn't really have the, you know, the horrors of war. But at the same time, I think the film is not putting itself out there in a way that is going to damage its own look. You know, it's not going to uh, show us things that are going to look aged. Uh, if anything, there was uh, an intentional cutting away of certain points. Yeah, like it that. punches enough back then, especially with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's they really want to they want to make the horror set in by action reaction type yep. of deal. They don't need to see it or they don't really want to show it. Yep. You know, sometimes it was just done because it wasn't especially 1930, it was not tasteful at yeah. the time to do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll say I'll wrap this up just because I, all these are probably going to go long this week. The, the last 30 or the last 20 minutes of the film really had me hooked here. And it really made up for a lot of my gripes of that this focus of the tragedy of war was being was being pulled away from, and it's cranked up to what I wanted the film to be, maybe throughout the entire experience, but still it's there for the end. Uh, and, I, and like I said already, I think I would recommend this film for those that have seen, or maybe even haven't seen, Best Years of Our Lives from 1946. You know, both films have a value of being a glimpse into war not so long after its close. Both of these stories kind of juggle the traumatic intensity of war, not by showing it directly. We're not seeing as much frontlines footage or or, uh, or or combat sequences as maybe you know modern audiences would like but instead we have a more personal journey for those lucky enough to survive we're gonna go ahead and give all quiet on the western front 1930 a 74 Ooh, 74 better than what i thought really a, 74 is a pretty good score there listen I, wow. I don't know if the ghosts of critics past will haunt me but i mean this this film really does get universal praise you know oh yes it does yeah yeah big time um, but, but it, uh, even for here now 74 percent. that's that's a pretty damn good movie yeah exactly and maybe all the more so because it's from <laughs> 1930 on the dot yeah like, oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> two and a <laughs> half hours long old film yeah uh some fun facts it's ranked number seventh on american film institute's greatest film epics oh okay interesting uh it was the third top grossing film of 1930 the third? Mm-hmm. Okay. Some sources said it was the second, but I went back and saw the numbers. It was the third. Okay. Second film, Check and Double Check was the second highest Never heard of it. Comedy. <laughs> okay. First one is Whoopi! Exclamation point. Oh, whoopee. Okay. Top top grossing film in 1930. Whoopi. Oh, nice. Also, well, also a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> in the 30s, they needed something to pick them up. You know what I mean? They were... <laughs> this was bad. But good. And like I said, I'm really glad that you did that this week to pair it yeah. along with the one that just came out. It was such a, a real, real moment that I was just saying, is that worth your time? And I was like, okay, I gotta, you know, I mean, yeah. if I'm asking that question, I think that's good. And I'm glad you watched it because it's 74. It is. Yeah, yeah. Now, whether it pairs well 
you know, whether it's double feature status. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. I think that's later. a very sad double feature. <laughs> Bad day. <laughs> okay, so with that, we're going to jump to 1957, which I love. Hit the 50s as we <laughs> in the know, fi- that's are they exactly good? Why it's, it's, it's on the list. Do the 50s have any good films for Vin? <laughs> We'll find out. This is Sweet Smell of Success. This is directed by Alexander Mackendrick. Uh, What brought you to this, and how was it? Set it up a little bit for us. Sure. So Sweet Smell of Success, uh, it landed on my radar because of the Monroe episode that we did, and and, uh, Tony Curtis uh, from Some Like It Hot is in this as uh, basically the main character. It's kind of a split lead. Uh, and, and I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, Tom. It's it's. <laughs> I, I saw this and I said, uh, uh, I'm going from 1930 to 2017. I need something in the middle here. <laughs> so, 57 was the uh, was the middle point. And uh, man, I got I got to take a moment. Um, Tom, let me tell you, this film was fantastic. Really? I <laughs> I uh, okay was. So in love with this. I rented it originally. I then, after watching it, bought it Im- immediately. Uh, and then uh, rewatched it the next day just really? to solidify. That's that's where I was saying, I mean, it was pulling teeth for this week. And it was a late week <laughs> of watching. <laughs> yeah, it was pulling teeth, not because it was just, yeah. It you, was just, yeah. You didn't have a lot of time to exactly. watch these. Yeah, yeah. One, of the, one of the balancing acts, yes. uh, for sure. But uh, boy, uh, this is a a special special movie. Really? Yes. Uh, And the only reason why you decided to watch it was because you wanted something in between thirty and and seventeen. Yep. And this had a loose connection to Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) Yep. Bingo. So did you know that it was highly rated? Uh, No, that was after my first watch, uh, and I try to stay as fresh as possible when it comes to these. Uh, So you watched it, and you're like, boy, this is a good movie. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is like Why don't people know about this? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And and obviously, I was on IMVD, so I was like, uh, again, I saw no Oscar wins, no real Academy uh, recognition, (laughs) so I was like... Nominated for one BAFTA, that's it. Yeah, what's going on here? And then I just saw that the, the love for this film is immense and, and really did you know c- cement my feelings already but man this was a cool okay. cool fresh not at all 50s movie mm-hmm. like i mean it's a 50s movie but not in the way that i i'm concerned with a, a 50s movie yes, you yes. know uh, if anything this was going to be one of the one of the the many that will add to the K mutiny pile that I was probably going to say, yeah, probably not. You almost figured time. it was just, yeah, check yeah. on the K mutiny pile. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it's an hour and 36. Like you said, Tony Curtis, he's also going alongside Burt Lancaster here. Mm-hmm. What do we get with these two guys? So, yeah, Sweet Smell and Success puts us up front and center in a ultra fast paced, high pressure world of press agents in Manhattan. Uh, most of the story takes place at night with the city being busy and jazzed blaring over information traded for shady favors. This is very much a a story about bad people, about snakes. (laughs) Everyone is an absolute snake in this. And and that's where I was like, hey, this is not... Not typical 50s. Yeah, Yeah. this is not squeaky clean. And for those people wondering, I don't know if the... You know, just for some of those people who didn't catch those other episodes that we talk about the 50s, the problem with 50s is it's post-World War II. Mm -hmm. Everything's squeaky clean. Everything is just chipper... Men and guys and gals yep. and and you know what I mean upbeat and and no no I mean there's conflict in these films but right, not much adver- just still not much yeah. adversity and there's just tones that are completely different in the 50s as a whole and it's mm-hmm. so much is because of that coming off of 
the World War, Absolutely. Second World War. Absolutely. So right away, the fact that we're dealing with not good people is a good oh, sign, really. It's so good. I was walking into this, and I was expecting maybe something similar to Mad Men, maybe something similar to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, oh, yeah. where there's, you know, the focus is business prowess as the content, but I was so wrong. This film is so much more than that. Our focus are two cutthroats uh, in the press uh, agent business. We have Cindy uh, Cindy Falco uh, by Tony Curtis, uh, a weaselly man that will literally do almost anything for information or a buck on the street. <laughs> and I really mean that, like literally anything. In a great line, actually, from Burt Lancaster, who is our, our next our next lead, uh, he calls him a cookie full of arsenic, uh, and, and I really like that. That was a great, that was a perfect little description of this character. Our next lead is J.J. Hunsicker, played by Burt Lancaster. J.J. Uh, Hunsicker uh, is a powerful information broker in the city that runs both a newspaper but also a nightly talk show. Um, I think uh, I found one of the earliest Oscar snubs, honestly. <laughs> with this performance because wow is Lancaster flawless cool exactly what you want in a villain exactly what you want out of his character performance I'll talk about dialect and dialogue in a little bit it really it brings it all home I mean just phenomenal and like I said, every I mean, this is a story about snakes, absolute <laughs> snakes. <laughs> it is uh, it is hysterical to me because it couldn't be farther from my assumptions about the fifties being squeaky clean. Uh, and it is a a movie of entirely horrible characters that are immoral and irredeemable. Um, but it takes something that is relatively small scale in plot and makes a fascinating story through the tangled knots of what the little games are between each of these characters, and it really is something special. I am dying to talk about this story, but it, like I said, it is relatively small in scale, so let me rave about some of the execution here. Mm -hmm. I think this has a wonderful feel to the city streets. The city takes on a new facade at night, uh, an aesthetic of movers and shakers where information is dealt for cash and favors. Our eyes are on the characters that control it all. Uh, J.J. is obviously the leader of his own kind of news circuit, uh, Sydney being an agent under him, but also an agent to many news circuits. We get exposed to a lot of the movers and shakers in the scene, if you will. The jazz is fast-paced. It matches the manic feel of this night world uh, that, that is kind of introduced to this press circuit. It really is. Most of the scenes take a, take place exclusively at night in Manhattan. I mean, that could be a little... Uh, is it electric, you know? Oh, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So good. Uh, and uh, credits to the, the jazz itself. Um, Elmer Bernstein composes here and Ooh, okay. uh, is just such a... It, it, <laughs> maybe it sounds like an insult, but it's just such a sleazy sound to the characters <laughs> like it's like really really sleazy you know sounding jazz uh it, it's good it's really good i was i was enjoying it quite a bit but i i think what is a, a key component i mean there's a lot of things that I, I again i can't i can't stress enough this film was was phenomenal a key component here is the dialect uh and the dialogue of this we talked about dialect recently and and here it's a strength to the dialogue by having such a slick talk of this late 50s New York setting, it, it immediately transports you there. Yeah. Um, most of the incredible dialogue falls on Lancaster's character, JJ, as he speaks in this mix of 
academic press speak and like jive lingo. It's such a great characterization for him because not only is does it show this character needs to hang with all types uh, to get the news, to get the info of the street. And he needs to, you know, hang with senators, but he needs to hang with the, the shady pimps right, as well. Right, right. <laughs> On top of that, it shows that he's using this confusing dialogue, this confusing lingo to always stay superior of who he's talking to. He's always faster. He's mm. always slicker. It just puts us right front and center without any blocky exposition, without any info dumps. If anything, I mean, at a breakneck pace, we're put into this slick press world of Manhattan, and it is just... It, it transports you there perfectly. I mean, really, perfection is so good, so good. And, and I think uh, you know when we when we talk about something being dated in this case, mm-hmm. this film, yes, it was dated, but it transported us there. Uh, and I it, think that's yeah, very it, different than you know watching in modern day. Can you be transported there? Fantastic. If it, watching in modern day is it pulling teeth, that's a different thing entirely. Absolutely, and it's it's dancing on a knife's edge a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And if this is just a straight portal to this era, yeah. to Manhattan, that's awesome. It's oh. fun. It's great. Yeah, it's so it's so good. And obviously, this this story is fictional, so there are, I'm sure there are some some hyper stylized elements mm-hmm. of sure. this of this information broker type of world, this night world. Yeah, uh, I I just can't tell you though. I was just so enraptured in it. Uh, it was so good. And like you said, it's quick and it's snappy, and it is an hour and thirty six, which I'm sure just helped it too. Oh, that, for that sure. much more did not uh, uh, overstay its welcome, and um, that's where I mean, like the, the story is a little bit smaller. We're not having mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, the world isn't ending, you right, know. What right. I mean? As as I feel like I have to talk about with every superhero film, you right, know what I mean? Right. It can't, we can't just tell a small story anymore, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and, and this is a small story of just everyone sticking knives and twisting knives in each other, and it's just man. Really good. Yeah. Really good. I would say the cinematography might be my biggest personal highlight. Very Scorsese, or or rather vice versa. The camera will have short but precise movements to uh, signify focus. It reminds me a lot of Whiplash or Birdman with how it jumps to the music in time as well. Um, the jazz here is really dictating the pacing, the cadence of the editing on screen. And let me tell you, folks, how impressive that is to be comparing a 1957 movie in yeah, editing seriously. to something so modern as Whiplash or Birdman. Uh, again, really in love with this. Um, early on, a great example of this, J.J. has a scene where he is advising a politician, a senator, to on, on the company he keeps. This character, again, he's throwing out a lot of slang. A lot of, you know, it's almost, it's almost uh, he's intentionally confusing. He's trying to manipulate every conversation with the slang he throws out there. And... He he accuses the senator of, or he accuses his company, this this uh, these these two other people that are sitting at the table of, hey, you should not be keeping them uh, with your company. You should not be socializing. You should not be seen with them. And what the camera move does is, as he's making this accusation, it does a a slight little like re snap refocus on the two people he's accusing, and just pans across, just very simply back to the senator, and where he's just sitting on his reaction. Hmm. Of a of kind of a a real talk uh, JJ is giving to this guy, no less in front of the people that he's saying, "Hey, kick him to the curb." Hmm. That little moment there uh, again, perfection is the word <laughs> because the cinematography is just like 
man, it's it, it's not overstated, but it's also not afraid to move around. You know, this camera here is not what I would say is typical of the 50s, which is going to be very typical blocking. Yeah. Everything is static. Yep. We're one single room. Obviously, that plays into a lot of set work that they're doing at the time. So this 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 camera was moving around intentionally and only when it needed to. And again, uh, I, I can't I can't speak <laughs> can't speak okay. highly enough about it. It's so good. You know, a real credit to the film if you're watching in modern day. I don't, you know, give praise, like I said, to things how they were, but if a thing can take you to how it was uh, in its execution, I think that is something special. And the dialect, the performances, the atmosphere to the film creates a authentic uh, and genuine feel to this seedy New York press circuit. I, I was enraptured with it. It was it was so good. You know, let me be real here. <laughs> the amount of films that I have been watching lately uh, has uh, left me a little numb. You know, I mean, I'm watching so many movies mm -hmm, sure. that I, in in kind of a mental exercise, I was a little bit worried that, sure, I can recognize a great film, but can I enjoy a great film? Um, this also was compounded that I saw an interview with Orson Welles and obviously he's like a drunk, you know, I mean, he's, he's got like, some, uh, you know, he's, he's a meme of himself online. Uh, and, uh, Orson Welles in this interview, he said, you know, say for, for movie lovers, save the passion of watching for only the great films. And this kind of just compounded and, you know, I'm sure I, I can call heads or tails if something is great. Yeah. I can make sense of it, but can I enjoy it as great? And... Let me tell you, uh, here comes along this little jazzy 50s movie with no awards to its name, and it shows me how silly my concern was because this film was no doubt great and truly a great watch as well. We're going to go ahead and give Sweet Smell Success Whoop. an 89. Woo! Wow! Hey! It was so good. Big so boy good. alert, ladies and Big gentlemen. Boy, yeah, it's been a minute. And I think, and honestly, it's, you know, it is a lot of films a week. You yep. know, it's around 250 a year. But you still, I mean, look at your, this reaction here. Yeah. Same reaction, basically, to when you watched Fargo. Sure. Which you watched in the podcast. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It, it's, the thing about watching so many films mm -hmm. is it makes these great films stick out even more, I think. I, I, and I think And even that so. much more of a punch in the face. Yeah. And almost yeah. that much more obvious. Yeah. And 89 is a phenomenal there was phenomenal score, and it, I think it's the best we've given on the podcast yet. I probably, probably, and and I I think if anything, because this is such an old film, I I really go out and watch it because you will be shocked wow. how electric, how fast paced it is, how not boring it is, the farthest from boring possible. It's a big deal. Oh yeah, because I got to tell you, I mean, I think on this, I mean, really. There's, what do we have? Like I said, around 850 films-ish, mm -hmm. something like mm -hmm. that. And I think there's 10, maybe 11 in the 90s. Right, right. And I think you gave Fargo an 88. Yeah. yeah. So this sweet smell of success, people, uh, don't sleep on it. Yeah. And seek it out is what it seems like. It was, it was definitely an 80s, without a doubt, on the first watch. But again, uh, just, just diving in deeper and again, just kind of just falling in love with how effortlessly the film just puts you in its own world. So you went from running out of time to watch five movies <laughs> to, to watching, watching six. Uh, arguably seven, because uh, oh, really? uh, Netflix All Quiet was, uh, was definitely some rewatch material. That one's a long one, though. That's pretty good. Wow. <laughs> so, um, like but from no time to making time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, 89%. It is, I think, the best one we've had on the podcast yet, folks. So don't sleep on Sweet Smell of Success. Mm. Wow. I think that's... I'm shocked. I was shocked. I mean, like you said... It shatters the expectation for 50s movies. Yeah. I mean, it flips it completely on its head. (laughs) Yeah. I almost said I probably can't even have the assumption of of the squeaky clean 50s anymore. (laughs) And what a nice surprise of you seeking it out for such a weird reason. Yeah. I just need... You know, you needed some sort of middle of the... You know, trying to find one in this... Around these decades, yeah, absolutely, and it was the loosest connection to past podcasts that we've done. Because <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I wasn't even digging like Tony Curtis as as an actor. No, in, yeah, in uh, some like it hot. Incredible. I mean, is there any comparisons you can make? Now you said you brought up Birdman, you brought up Whiplash, with maybe a little bit of of the way the cinematography or the mm-hmm. camera work. But any comparisons because it's so still fresh and electric. Mm. Uh, any comparisons to modern day movies or does it have a madman feel or or this madman doesn't even touch this i i think it, it roughly touches it because again it is kind of transporting us into a specific you know profession within right, the right. time period so very much still the same i i think the execution couldn't be farther from it and again it's more so with our characters yeah. and how they are characterized by doing and 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 what we see them do rather than just us saying you know, we needing an info dump or needing exposition mm-hmm. to get us up to speed on the character. I love it. Okay. We see them be snakes. There's a reason why I said they're all snakes. <laughs> we see them be snakes. Awesome. Uh, sweet. Once again, folks, sweet smell of success. Eighty nine percent. Check it out. Uh, I'd be interested in checking out the director more. I'd be interested in checking out the cinematographer oh, more. Yeah. Who's just a, a Chinese guy who started working on the railroads when they first came over. Really? Born in eighteen ninety nine. Yeah. No way. He's done some other large ish films as well. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, so and, now, and to be such a highlight too, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He also has like 140 cinematographer credits. Yeah, to his name because oh, yeah. you know, classic. Uh, all, all yeah, all the all the old films like that, <laughs> just working actors. All right, now we'll jump to our 2017 here. Big old jump from 57. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this movie is called Loving Vincent. This is directed by two directors I don't know of, uh, Dorota Cobiella and Hugh Welchman, mm-hmm. and. Uh, this is about Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> no, it's about me. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, what do we get with this film, Vin? Kind of what? Why this? Why this kind of indie film here? Yeah, uh, indie film. I think is a great way to introduce it. Yeah, uh, I have a bias uh, that if I hear my name in the title of a character or something like that, I, I love it. I get that from my mother. So. <laughs> Uh, it's why I love uh, uh, Tom Cruise's character Vincent in Collateral. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> well, maybe not the only reason, but uh, it's why I'm, I'm probably a little bit more tolerant of Tom Cruise then. So, uh, but yeah, this film. Um, I mean, uh, wow. to 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 give away the the pitch of more it. tolerant than Tom Cruise. <laughs> I, just I, would, I, would hate, my... I would hate to see if his name wasn't Vincent in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> true true and tear it apart sorry go ahead uh but yeah uh, to to give away the the elevator pitch here this film is a story of around vincent van gogh's life specifically after his death showing past events and pieces together a mystery around why he committed suicide and what relationships had a role in his final days the fine the 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 reason why this is on the watch list and the reason why I'd recommend this movie as all is because the notable feature is that it is all painted like an oil painting. It is animated like an oil painting Ooh. the entire film. And it comes across how? Um, 
I got a lot of notes on it. <laughs> We're going to be going long here, folks. It's uh, meaty, meaty movies this week. From Technically, I believe what we have here is uh, a process called rotoscoping. We mentioned it before where you're taking footage frames and you're animating physically over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, that same principles of animating over the live footage are just with paint. You know, I have a a lot of good and a lot of bad because this is the primary draw to the film. A uh, couple couple bullets here, uh, accomplished by over a hundred artists on the team, which is uh, sizable. Maybe not sizable by CGI huh. like, uh, kind of uh, size of teams, right. but um, definitely definitely notable. Um, they pull this off this kind of Herculean task of oil painting over every frame of a film. Yeah. Uh, by having a reduced frame rate to the film, so oh, okay. uh, a normal frame rate of the film is twenty four frames per second. Uh, that is the cinematic look, if you will. To create an animation with twenty four frames, you are painting twenty four different shots to get one second and get one second. I recognize it as a little bit lower. Uh, in research, this is actually boiled down to 12 frames per second, and and both kind of a good and bad, a little bit choppy. It yeah, looks like. so did it look like those classic like things that were shot in the 19-teens, <laughs> where everything almost looked sped up, but it wasn't sped uh, up, it was right. just because you had, yeah. it was blocked up? Did it look weird like that, or was um, it? It didn't look weird. I just think it went, when so many scenes are focused on interview segments of just two people talking, it looks quite beautiful, but precise mouth movements, precise... A little weird. Know, yeah, it just it just it looks like 12 frames. It looks like half the amount of frames. Because 24, we can you... pick up, it looks smooth. Yeah. 24 is... I forget what the actual rate you hit, whether it's 20, 21, mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. where it actually seems like emotion right, rather right. than chopped up yep. pick, pick images. Mm-hmm. Interesting that it's 12. I, I wonder if like... What was it, 2017? Mm-hmm. I'm glad that it wasn't just you shoot it on digital and then you put a Snapchat filter on. <laughs> right. You know, seriously, you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I mean, the, sure. the work that went behind this is yeah. ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not cutting corners. I mean, yes, they have to kind of... Or are they... Well, well, they have to, they have to make one big cut as far as the frames that they're they're committing to, right. but um, you know it is it is it is inspired as far as what they're doing. So uh, this uh, it makes it feel pretty shop, choppy, but I can't stress enough how gorgeous uh, this movie is, and it really is a sight to behold. I mean, it is a gorgeous looking film. Uh, you don't have to be a film enthusiast to imagine the painstaking process of making this. You know, literally twelve pictures. Painted for every one second of runtime. What's the total runtime on this? I believe it's an hour and thirty-four. Yeah. So I mean, that's <laughs> my my yeah. brain right now isn't doing that mental math, but that's a lot. That's a lot. Of seconds. It's a lot. You'd almost <laughs> you, you could you could just you could understand and give it a pass if it was an hour and five, an hour yep. and fifteen, or something like that. Yeah. When you hear that that craziness that you have actual hundred painters going through each frame, it's just, that's wild. Yeah, it's a lot. But very impressive. It's an hour and thirty four. It's a full feature length film. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and especially for certain scenes, having this oil painting style is an, it creates an entirely different feel feel to the normal sequence. There's a brawl scene, for instance, and just seeing that action has to be blurred with oil paints. Mm. Pretty interesting. You know what I mean? I, I I can't say I was having a terrible time with visually what was going on here. Was it... It wasn't... Hmm, I don't know if this connection is right at all. Okay. I get bored with anime a lot. Okay. 
You know what I mean? Uh, uh, sure, yeah. Well, I know, I know you don't. Okay. <laughs> My reason, <laughs> maybe I can easily fall asleep to anime because it's so much dialogue and so many things are happening with that, but not too much actually happening on the screen. Okay. So fair. now that you're at twelve, the talking head syndrome. Right, and it. now that you're at twelve per second mm-hmm. rather than twenty-four, and it looks choppy already, and then you have muddled a picture look already, mm. and so you're not seeing detail. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming because. You're dealing with an oil painting, kind sure. of. Yeah. Was there a disconnect there from viewer to screen? Was it hard to be engaged with the actual, to put yourself there in it? Hmm. You know what um, I mean? I don't think so. I think it, it is there just story-wise. Um, okay. Because this film is just all exclusively interviews. It's a character hmm. post-death of Van Gogh going around to people in his lives that knew him, almost a la Citizen Kane, if you will. Okay. And talking about and doing these flashbacks in life. Yeah, just Makes that. Makes it a little bit more appropriate then. Yeah, but it's also, that's where I felt it was a little bit lacking engagement to yeah. it. Um, not necessarily in the oil painting itself then. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. No, that's good. And, and, and you know, while I pray, why I praise this side of it so highly is because this film is, yes, it's visually impressive. Yes, it's a labor of love. But what puts this over the top is it, it's a story about Van Gogh's life. So having certain scenes reference both his style and specific paintings is an incredible follow-through. Uh, I mean, incredible yeah. uh, to have that matching. You know, I'm not even a, an art historian to tell you, oh, yeah, that's that's Van Gogh's yada yada. Uh, but you can tell when certain frames are kind of hanging there to, you know, let the audience know that this is, this is you know, a specific reference to a moment in time mm-hmm. that Van Gogh painted this or, you know, a specific frame of reference for one of his paintings. So... Uh, every scene, though, and I got to lean into some of the bad here. Not every scene gets the same amount of love as others. There are many, many, many flashbacks uh, in these in in the story that are completely black and white. Color is removed. It is significantly less done, uh, less well done. Clearly used to balance out some of the budget and some of the time of the production by using black and white. The frame is left left less painted, I guess I'll say. Okay. The brushstroke work is nowhere near as 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 fine-tuned and, and nowhere near the caliber it is in the full-color scenes. It, there's a lot of these black-and-white scenes, unfortunately. You know, like I said, the, the story is uh, structured like Citizen Kane that it's almost exclusively interviews and flashbacks to times these characters inter, uh, interacted with Van Gogh's life. You know, these these interviews, you know, it's just exclusively narration, and it's a little boring, and then nonetheless, you know, it doesn't help that every flashback is this black and white, this lesser execution of the idea yeah. of every frame being a painting, you know, or an oil painting, uh, and I just think it's a semi-large misstep for the film because... These scenes are presented as payoff for the story, yet they are the most visually boring. Does that make sense? Where uh, I'm uh, from? Absolutely, totally makes sense that they black them that, that they're black and white for mm-hmm. purposes of this is a flashback, right? Not losing their mind. But if they're supposed to be the most <laughs> engaged, yeah, and it's the least riveting visually. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a shame because those are the moments where you're really going to be most glued to the scenes. You find out, hey, what what is the mystery around right. Van Gogh's and, life? And they're they're not the most interesting to look at. You're getting I think. the least detail. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I would almost vote for a vice versa. Keep 
the post Van Gogh life black and white. Ooh, that would be cool. Go back into color. You know what I mean? Probably would be a little bit easier for him too. Yeah. That yeah. would be very cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, a gripe I had with the film. Overall, Loving Vincent is a, a balance between 10 out of 10 colored visuals that are masterfully referential to Van Gogh's work. The other side of that is interesting, but average black and white scenes doing the heavy lifting in the runtime. Uh, I thought this was a still a very good movie, but ultimately it was carried by its visuals. I think uh, a great watch if you appreciated if you appreciate animated wonders. I'm talking Fantasia, uh, maybe a Who Framed Roger Rabbit for its novelty uh, of how animation and rotoscoping is used, and then. Uh, kind of always my recommendation, any kind of Studio Ghibli film on the anime front. You know, the the look is elevating the experience. It is the experience. And in that, maybe needs some improvement itself. Still mm-hmm. a good movie. Mm-hmm. We're going to go ahead and give Loving Vincent a 70 on the dot. Oh, 70. Yeah, still good. Glad this movie exists. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're really far reaching. Almost 100 years of, uh, of a movie yeah. watching here. So this is, so th- again, this just came out in August. This is called Vesper. We have a sci-fi adventure yep. drama type film here. What is it? Some of the visuals look pretty cool. And you being the sci-fi guy, what do we get? Were you excited by any of this? Yeah, I, that, that's exactly why it landed on my uh, my um, watch list. Uh, some slick sci-fi visuals that caught my eye and, and landed it on uh, you know my, my many lists that I had that I chipped away uh, off of this week. However, uh, the movie is, um, it just has a bad problem with sh- not showing us the most interesting offerings it has, and instead focusing on a smaller, drawn-out scenes that unfortunately show a little bit more of its indie budget than you would let on. Okay. Um, I feel like there's a there's a, a balancing act that this movie fails because you get super high-fidelity, very inspired, cool sci-fi visuals that are arguably one-tenth of the film, and uh, then we're just in rooms and Russian-looking houses. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and, and the s- low budget kicks in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very indie. Uh, this is IFC um, that produces this, which I like some IFC films. Could you, could you give us a couple more? Uh, it, well, really, just IFC the movie channel. So oh, they're, right, they're right, the, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. And everyone's in the game of producing, too. You I mean, you look at, like, Shudder and whatnot. You know, I think that was just born from, you know, indie type of uh, producing and whatnot. Of yeah. Films, so. I already have something stuck in my head because I'm oh, saying, yeah? Just sitting here watching the stills, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Would this be better if it was a short and if it was done by Oat Studio? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong. The visuals, they are slick. This landed on my, my Some of them look cool, radar yeah. for a reason. You know, there's a cool biology to it and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, it's just it's not the focus of the yeah, film. And yeah. if anything, cut right to the, to the punch of this. Uh, this is exactly the problem that I had with Kin a couple weeks back in August when we reviewed it. Actually, probably around the time that this movie came out. <laughs> that it's like... The the movie is about a sci-fi gun. Make it about the sci-fi gun. I was going to bring up the sci-fi gun. <laughs> yeah, where this is like, it's about cool sci-fi evolution and biology. It is about it, but it's it doesn't give us the goods. So in Vesper, we follow Vesper, a cu- curious little girl who uh, has her dad um, as a robot drone uh, in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, there is a disparaging difference in the quality of life on Earth. You know, some live in that in a utopia future society, which 
unfortunately we never see in the film. Uh, and, and others are in this polluted scrap world. This feels very much, uh, just to make an anime reference, Nausicaa Valley of the Winds. I don't know if you've ever seen Nausicaa. Yeah, I'm well aware of it. Yeah, it's a good movie. You should watch Nausicaa. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the anime it's special. It's one of the biggest ones, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. all you guys are fans of it. Yeah. <laughs> all you guys. In what ways is it similar, though? Uh, in that it is a little girl discovering this post-apocalyptic world. Oh, and there okay. being wonder right. to it, though. You okay. know, there's, there's wonder to the biology. There's wonder to the technology that... Um, it, it, it is kind of flourishing without humans, uh, which is a which is a cool sci-fi setting. My main issue is that we only see a fraction of this world, uh, and similar, like I said, to the review of Kin, it just does not know what the viewer, it, what how it's bringing the viewer to watch the film in the first place. You know, doesn't know its strengths. Vesper also helps an injured woman from the Citadel, from this like have world uh, of this have not have and have not examination. Uh, and once again, it kind of just boils down to sci-fi window dressings, you know? It's not, hmm. you know, there's a substantial drama in the performance, but it just kind of like, okay, people are sad now, and we're in a room, but it's not <laughs> sci-fi. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it was a little underwhelming for me. The society that Vesper is a part of is very tribal, very ritual ritualistic from, you know, on this surface scrap world. Uh, for instance, our antagonist is like this hillbilly orphan king, which is <laughs> awesome. But, uh, you know, it, it clearly, you know, is is a new third ball in style that the, <laughs> that the film is juggling. <laughs> And all of these balls are not the cool sci-fi visuals yeah. that we're getting, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you know, like from a bird's eye, if we look at the many styles, we have this woodsy focusing on nature shots, and that's where we get this these these gorgeous shots of the design of the new biology and plants, and, and good CGI as well, you know, good looking. You have the future tech citadel world that spotlights this, you know, kind of very cliche have and have not, you know, uh, uh, genre or, or, or styling to the story. And finally, we have this post-apocalyptic Mad Max scrapper society, and it's just like, you know, it's cool that they're combining all these elements. None of are none are done particularly well. Uh, and yeah, they it, make sense that they're together, but yeah, yeah. It honestly, it's, I mean, low budget and indie kind of exactly, yeah. yeah. It, it and and I'm not trying to really just needlessly knock this film, uh, but it's uh, it just it, this is speculation, but it really just gave me the feel that they had a concept that would be on like oats, that mm -hmm. would be on yeah. something like that uh, around the CGI, and they tried to make a story out of it, realized they didn't have enough story, and started adding stories to it. Um, and I can only imagine that because of that. And the hour and 54 minute just mm -hmm. kills it. Just yeah. really hurts it. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a snoozer. Uh, and and yeah. believe me, I like slow burn. I like slow sci-fi specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, this was... Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, not only I wish I saw it, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wish I saw the cool sci-fi stuff, uh, but it, on top of it, it not really giving you it feels like the payoff isn't there either. Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I have I have many notes of how much this is a snoozer, but we're gonna we're gonna go by that because uh, you know this 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 can be can be shortened down. I, I would say I stand by original my original assessment that there is stunning visual design here. But being split between the three never really gives us a great payoff. Um, and it's a shame because also the design of these plants 
are and the new biology of the world, it shows us how evolved it is, how Vesper is uh, the master of her own domain, uh, being you know growing up in this and mm-hmm. kind of being a, a, a child genius, uh, and to not you know to not have that as the only focus, I think is again a big miss. Um, it's very typically integrated uh, and has a bad problem with creating payoff for um, for ideas in the film. Things just kind of happen and say, oh, why why wouldn't we just introduce this at some point? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Most of all, I would just say the story is lacking. I was curious of all the sci-fi biology. I was curious about the Citadel politics. And uh, believe me, I wanted to see where all the conflict goes. But it all gets lost in the bloated two-hour runtime that couldn't decide what aspect was the strongest. I can tell you what was the strongest, and that was the cool setting with beautiful visual design and exciting sci-fi nature. I just wish I saw it (laughs) instead of focusing on a drama of characters that are not the strong setting. We are going to go ahead and give Vesper a 55. Okay, low point of the week here. Yeah, definitely low point of the week. 55%. Still above, you know, hey, that's still above the Adam Project. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Always getting in the jab to, to Reynolds. <laughs> uh, Vesper, so lackluster. should have been shorter. Yeah. And more concise, kind of, when you're dealing with that budget. Yeah. Leave it cool. Leave it cool. Exactly. Yeah. Don't cut yeah. Don't cut out cool, too. Yeah. Uh, and it clearly boring. it's a budget thing, but yeah, then like, at to- that like point, totally don't make it understandable. Two hours, you know? Oh, that's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, you gave it a try. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that that's that's how you get the gems for sci-fi. You got to you got to dig through the mining through that yeah. the ore of <laughs> ever-ending or never-ending sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's best for the 55% folks. So, we just want to remind people here, we're going up the value for value model. So, we're totally producer supported and are you found, you know, if if we're providing you value, getting any value from this from the website, if you could, you go to the dailyratings.com. You go to the donations tab, and uh, through monetary support, you can send in whatever amount that you want that you feel that you're getting, or whatever amount of value that you feel like you're getting. You send in a note along with it so we can read that on air, ask us questions, give us critiques, comments, whatever. Uh, It's a through line to you, and uh, that's kind of how we operate. Again, it's dailyratings.com. Go to the donations tab, and we thank you all uh, who help produce here at the Daily Ratings. Um, just want to give another shout-out to producer Sean, who's still helping us out on the back end. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a huge help for us, especially in these past few months where we just not have had time, that's for sure. But uh, with that, folks, we're going to go ahead to our last film here. Uh, we alluded to it a bunch of times. This is the all-new Netflix, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, this is directed by Edward Berger, a German director. This is a German cast. Mm-hmm. It's pretty full German production Bingo. of All yep. Quiet on the Western Front. Ben, it's a Netflix original. It's not being talked about all too much, mm. but that's also kind of the saturation that we get with Ooh, yeah, know, the with, game with, of with, with digital release yep. and, and Netflix for sure. Which we've we've talked about so many times, like you know, how do they decide what is getting marketing? How do they decide? You know right. what you were talking about with the Amazon not too long right. ago, like that. Exactly, and and so for with this, you know, we're returning to a a very large property here mm-hmm. between the book and how huge the original one was let's kind of get into the beginnings of these movies what is setting them apart is there a reason to 
look at this story again. Sure. And how is it done in a fresh new 2022 way? I, I think there's absolutely reason to remake it. Uh, and it's purely for, again, uh, going back to that 30, uh, that, that 1930s rendition of the film, uh, just a little bit of a, a lack of consistency in tone. And not only that, you know, war films have come quite a long way <laughs> right, in brutality right. and, and, and spectacle. So I think... Um, uh, you know, this film wasn't really on my radar until it, you mentioned it. Also, listener of the show, Tyrone, he listen, he 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 wanted he reached out and kind of was uh, excited for my thoughts on this film as well. So, I really wasn't finding myself super excited for this film, but I do think this is a great movie. I think okay. the the brutality is definitely worth it here. And was it not on your film because? It- one, it was on Netflix. Two, it's not being pushed out so much. Mm-hmm. Or three, this story just wasn't kind of on your radar. Like, are we oversaturated now with a Dunkirk in 1917? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think kind of maybe a mix of all three. Uh, and again, almost to the point that I never saw the original. Not that probably right. a lot of people have at this right. point. Yeah. <laughs> but it was one of those things where, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I was excited to watch it, uh, but I found myself a little bit more reluctant to to get on board with this film. Uh, okay. I will say, though, it is a great movie. Uh, excited to to talk about a lot of what's unpacking here in, in reference to that original uh, that original film. Uh, like I said, Berger is a German director uh, I have no experience with, uh, and this is, uh, you know, the Netflix film purely gunning for awards season, I think. Uh, I'd be curious to know what the chatter is award-wise. I know it's not being pushed out there so much from a business or from a viewership standpoint yeah. but it seems like an award grab for sure and that's maybe where i was kind of like eh, you know another award grab i'll probably uh, get to it in okay a sure yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that's i guess where i was coming from with it uh i will say though <clears throat> uh the part of the reason why i did two watches on this is one because i started it <laughs> and i had to turn it off because i was <laughs> i was both tired and <laughs> I was kind of in a good mood, and this is definitely not a good mood movie. <laughs> and if you're tired, because it's two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's exactly. It's 2.28. Um, but I was also really curious. Uh, this is a fully German production. This has an English dub, uh, but the original is in German, and I gave a full uh, full watch to both of these. I would say, honestly, they are interchangeable. I wasn't saying one is is has to be the way you watch it. I will say, though, the German is a tiny bit better, and I, I'll, I'll call this like very similar to uh, the movie um, the movie Downfall, uh, where there's an effect with German language. Downfall is the, the, the very famous one with Hitler. Uh, okay. and so it okay. all takes okay. place in the bunker, and you just see Hitler freaking out. And, 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 and in German, like he is like yelling. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he, is, he is losing it. Uh, and I think very similarly here. There's just something to hearing all of that German dialogue uh, and, uh, being and the, native, the intensity of the language. Yeah, uh, being in the a, native language of the book that was written yeah. was supposed to be with Germans. Exactly. You know what I mean? It, it just it wraps you ever more into the realism of the moment, kind yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. I'll get into, obviously, the big discussion of, of the film itself. I, I, I do want to make a note, you know, say what you will as far as some of these Netflix-produced films, but I think they are undeniably killing the game on the international cross-releases. Um, I, I would say probably the ultimate example is something like a Squid Games, but even something like RRR that we covered back not too long yeah. ago. 
Netflix is having this effect that, you know, we, we, we even covered it on that RRR review on the podcast that this is getting to countries that would normally not see it. And not only that, it's being supercharged by Netflix's digital platform. But would you not agree that because it's a Netflix original, this mm-hmm. was always meant to have that cross? When you uh, when you redo All Quiet on the Western Front, sure, I feel like you're doing this to get out to all audiences. Yeah, you know when sometimes when some of the the best shows I've enjoyed on Netflix have mm-hmm. actually been French shows. Yeah, but those were made for French audiences. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? I, I guess I guess my reflection on it is more so. I don't think if this was remade in the German production without Netflix's involvement, I would watch it. So oh, similar okay. to just right. their, their their international play is very large right now. And I yeah. don't see that happening on any other platform, you know, despite Netflix's kind of downturn and everyone calling no, it doom I, and gloom. And I, I would say you're definitely right on this. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. Uh, and... Uh, Rightfully so, because uh, guess what? I love the film. <laughs> you know, I, mean? I thought it was a great movie, uh, and I, you know, I mean, I maybe come across some German film, but it's not something that I'm seeking out myself. I had no idea who Berger was, so yeah. All quiet on the Western Front once again, uh, straight from the eyes of the novelist uh, in World War One. A veteran in 1929 released this. This adaption, what well, well, the film, the novel was adapted for both 1930 and then as well again. I actually forgot to mention in this in the uh, in the other review, uh, 1979. There was another adaptation. There to the was. Film. I don't think that got much attention. Yeah. I don't think it seemed like a more lower end production. I don't know. I, I could. I didn't do too much research. I it. did want to bring up a point to you. So mm-hmm. we'll just get it out of the way now. <laughs> he's been flirting <laughs> or he's been dancing around it long enough. Yeah. So I watched this. Yeah. This is Tom. Unlike uh, anime, this is Tom's <laughs> type of movie. This is a Tommy Two Shoes. <laughs> yes. This is the opposite of anime for me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I totally have a Tommy Two Shoes, but I think it'll be good to open up dialogue right away sure, instead of yeah, your exactly. review. I hide it, you, and then we bingo, do. Bingo. This works a little bit more. You know, looking at the way I t- after watching it, I've just spoiler alert too. I enjoyed it very much okay, as well. Good, good. Why? Why twenty two? Why nineteen twenty two? Or two thousand twenty two? You know what I mean? Why not do? Could it have waited for? A hundredth anniversary for the hundredth anniversary of the film mm. uh, of the book. Do it sure. in twenty nine. Do the yep. film in, in thirty. Mm-hmm. That's all. It just surprised me. It was just like I, I don't know when you have such old intellectual properties like mm-hmm. this. There's mm-hmm. something about it with me where it's like let's pick, let's do it as right as possible, mm. and rather than just it feels good in the moment. Burger is there. Mm-hmm. Does that make? Does that absolutely? Am I the only one who's bothered by that? No, I, I think it's it's a good thing to appreciate because there can't that's that's fall through in the execution, right? So, and the reason why it popped up in my head and or to, to, to say there is because you said to the seventy nine, where it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, fifty year anniversary, somebody took a crack at it. Mm, oh, good point. You and know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, back to that fifty nine or, or seventy nine. I think there's a reason why we're not talking about it today. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, really for this adaptation, it is 10 times more brutal uh, and feels a lot more authentic as well for what it's worth because of this German audio. I think there's an immersion factor uh, amidst the brutality that um, is really something that I'm putting a lot of credit into. So again, fine if you watch uh, uh, English dub, fine if you watch German dub. I think both were completely sufficient for the story. So I did, uh, yeah, I did German. Okay. Read the subtitles. And they really disappear after a while. Exactly. Yeah, because this is more combat. Yeah, when know? the acting's good, when it, the film is set up the way it is, it's really quite natural. Mm-hmm. You're not struggling to see what's happening on screen and yep. to be reading. It's all good. Yep. The American dub, though, 
how were the voices sounded compared to the actors? Uh, they're all British. A perfect okay. example is in our captain character. Uh, I'm forgetting the, the character's name. Paul? But, uh, no, no, not Paul. The, um, the, the captain. Um, oh, oh, okay. He, he sounds very like, all right, mates. You know? <laughs> it's, it's like uh, How very do... spec op kind of British. I okay. Don't know. Did they seem like, but, you know, I want some, I want to be, when I'm seeing a person on screen so close to their face and then mm-hmm. talking i wanted to at least the voice to be like okay that guy could sound like that right right Do you know um, what i mean how was that i think so it's certainly not you to the point it, yeah, that it, it didn't take me out of okay it, which is know? huge which yeah. is huge okay uh and and why i really wanted to test it because i was in love with the german there's a great actually uh, i would say for folks at home if you have not watched this yet within the first 20 minutes uh the young boys are getting recruited and there is a uh, kind of an orator kind of a, a rallyer sure. it's a very impassioned in german it's also a very impassioned in the english dub but i think that's a quick area practically speaking that you can kind of double check it flitch back and forth a little bit yeah and see what you like see what you dig more and yeah i would go for german just like you said yeah just maybe go for the german it adds immersion to it you know i mean big time big time Um, and yeah so but uh you know this 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 story is is identical of just how uh, extremely anti-war it is uh and even being you know the novel being as we noted on the previous review being banned by nazi germany in the year following years following its release you know this is important that the film stays anti-war throughout the whole time the story has a central theme of the horrors of the promise of glory, or in the promise of glory, you know the the reality of war is horrific and it's beyond imagination. So, focusing on these these young boys signing up for the you know enlisting in the service, the the film has a great way of presenting this glory of becoming a hero, uh, fighting for one's country. Uh, the film examines that fantasy in a critical light uh, through the brutality of World War One, and I can't. You know, I mean, it is consistent in examining this in a critical way throughout the entire runtime, and I cannot say that about the original 1930 release. It's, it's unbelievable how it it's unrelenting mm-hmm. in how it feels in the anti-warness of it. Yeah. You know, my only note that I had is I wish it could have conveyed, because it's not so much, you're watching, it's World War II and you're watching the German lines, mm-hmm. you know, so the big thing is... They are the ones attacking, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The war could end as soon as the Germans just want to end. Sure. But I like that there is the separation of the basic soldier mm-hmm. and the higher-ups. Sure. My only note was I would have liked to see some even more adversity, some even more evil from mm. the upper echelons, okay. which, of course, we do get. Yeah, we get some uh, armchair kind of general stock. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's very important to get that. Yeah. I think it's really important to also see that these German sh- soldiers are just as much expendable vic- yeah just as numbers expendable almost as the other side basically oh yeah absolutely you know um but to your point of that unrelentlessness it's crazy that we're in 2022 and you f- can feel an impact of a war like that or any war like that mm. i like that it was all german production mm, yeah so just i have a quote from the director okay and it, and it said when it comes to both world wars as a german there is nothing to be proud of in that part of history there's only guilt terror horror and a deep sense of responsibility to the past that's in me that's in my kids Mm. and i like that that there's a sense of deep and undertaking regret Mm. and absolute loathsome yeah you know what i mean to the past wars and i think it's picked up so well through the film yeah absolutely absolutely and specifically with world war one it's it's relayed in in multiple times in the film they are fighting for meters of land you know this is not anything significant um 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there, I mean, I can't talk about it in, in because of spoilers, but there's actually a wonderful poetic turn later on in the film that kind of puts a similar uh, a similar valuing of what life is worth, uh, and uh, in the context that you know the entire war effort was just for couple meters of ground uh, and not for any kind of substantial substantial gain there uh, I think is very very poignant to to the point of this film yeah so, I would say this anti-war approach going back to your your comment mm-hmm. about 1917 uh, and and Dunkirk I think this film I would land this closer in a recommendation to a hurt locker a full metal jacket uh, because it's more so being critical about war itself where 1917 Dunkirk it's about heroics it is mm-hmm. a proper mm-hmm. war film in that it's about being a hero where this is more so looking at war itself uh, and obviously under a critical light uh, with that uh, I don't hate that comparison I don't necessarily know if I would agree or how mm-hmm. I look at the films in general sure I still pair this to the 1917 and the Dunk- and Dunkirk right. mm-hmm. And really, it's just because of style, how good they are. Right, right. Also, production it, it, it of the is, battlefield. Yeah, I'd say. quality of war mm-hmm. filmmaking, basically. Yeah. Whether it be World War Two, like Dunkirk, mm-hmm. or or the um, World War One with 1917 and this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard not to kind of juggle that in your head. Mm-hmm. And one thing I also had was I was I'm very was very conflicted in the past two weeks okay. to figure out what what score to give this myself. <laughs> so it was fun. Okay. You know, a big thing was I almost, this might be product of just bad timing or something like that. I feel like I would have enjoyed it even more had mm-hmm. this come out before the other two films. Oh, sure. My issue is there was there was a daz, there was something dazzling, there was something extra to mm-hmm. Dunkirk, to 1917, mm-hmm. that really brought you to the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean something crazy going on mm-hmm. screen. It could be like there was something just slightly different with camera motions, mm-hmm. with cinematography. Sure. And I even, almost with The Revenant as well, just mm-hmm. the beautiful notion of filmmaking. Yep. I just feel like we're getting that in a lot of war films lately. Yeah, yep. So it's it's tough for me to sit here. It's like I want to knock it mm-hmm. because it didn't have this dazzling effect, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it could just be a product of being third in line. Yeah, you know, it's true. It's true. And also, maybe while we're a little bit worn out on World War One, World War Two as a setting as well. Um, yeah. Would you agree with me that there wasn't anything visually striking when you look at Revenant or Nineteen Seventeen or Dunkirk? These mm-hmm. are films that were beautiful looking, as is All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. But there were elements of it that were visually interesting, unique. And you had some great one-shot pans Yes, in 1917. Great battlefield runs as well. Yeah, With Dunkirk, it was just unbelievable, this flipping back and forth between three different things Mm -hmm. and some interesting cinematography and camera work as well, big time. I mean, Um, Nolan was was great with the use of time and the ticking of the clock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then Revenant with just some of the crazy shots that were made there and how they did it with all natural lighting. There's Mm -hmm. something that did give it a bit of an edge. This, to me, was a beautiful film, Mm -hmm. a visually striking film for sure, but it didn't have an essence of something new brought to the table. Hmm. Definitely on my notes of kind of the brutality, I I enjoyed how there was a quietness that kind of came over uh, the the battlefield Mm -hmm. in some sections. A lot of of quiet moments in the film are just reviewing how the destruction on the battlefield. uh, Okay. 
in that I that probably most reminds me of 1917 because there was a similar uh, there was a similar aspect there to the heroics of him running across the battlefield sure. and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially when he comes you know in night kind of his night operations to it. Uh, I would say though this film was I, I thought it was pretty striking. I mean maybe what you're it feeling was is that, is I don't that it's a German product. You know I mean maybe, maybe it's a bit different there. Yeah, I don't want to take away from it, that, mm-hmm. and I think that's just a testament to how good that uniqueness and incredible that eye candy yep. of Dunkirk in 1917. Yeah. This was a beautiful film. I don't mm-hmm. want to knock it, but it's just the fact that it didn't do anything. I didn't see anything new. Sure. I guess. Sure. And that was the only thing maybe st- just stepping aside from those two others. Yeah. That's all. Other, maybe other than its brutality. Cause I feel like this is definitely the most brutal uh, out of all. Of them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For I, sure. I, I, there's the, I, I think there's a certain scene that the brutality does meet that striking visuals. You know, it's, it's, it's a war, uh, it's a war story. There are going to be tanks rolling up at some point, And and specifically in this, in, mm, in, in okay. the story, that is where I would point to that this can hang with the with the with the big boys. With the big, okay, yeah, yeah. So. And I do think it hangs. Yeah, I do think it hangs for sure. My only thing is, is it one rung lower on the ladder? Yeah, uh, and, and that's it's a very good ladder. Listen, it's a very good ladder. <laughs> it's the best ladder you can buy. <laughs> um, uh, but I think I do, do yeah. ultimately agree with you because um, this is you know I mean Dunkirk and 1917 both identical scores on the ratings, uh, and this is oh, coming damn. in slightly lower so i think i think we are on the same page and i bring revenant into that not just because it's one of my favorite movies (laughs) but talking on cinematography in the modern era and um camera placement and just movement of the camera you know what i mean absolutely Uh, absolutely. those three films really strike a chord absolutely yeah and 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 revenant with such surreal scenes as well uh such such a highlight there but yeah uh i mean honestly identical uh and 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 in in the concept here we we're following a young group of friends caught up in that fantasy of 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 glory uh and uh with plenty of national pride uh but you know, shattered almost immediately is when they arrive on the Western Front. Um, I would say, you know, again, where I I put praise into this film and specifically a higher rating than the original, which may be kind of sacrilegious, but it's what I'm feeling uh, and what I believe as well um, in watching both of these films side to side. You know, the focus never leaves the sight. We're constantly having the dream shattered for our protagonist. That fantasy is consecutively shattered again and again and again. And, and, uh, you know, I I appreciated this way of executing the story rather than the mixed tone of the original so much more. Mm. Um, The action and atmosphere are a big highlight for me over the original as well. This film holds no punches on how brutal the combat of World War I was. And a perfect example is in the opening sequence, if you want to test this for yourself. There is just a abundance of chaos and brutality. But there's, like we've noted already, there's kind of tranquil moments to the film as well. Yes. Uh, maybe it's tranquil in the quietness of death. You know, it's still grim, but there is tranquil moments to it, whether it's a scarred battlefield or a field untouched by the war. So, And I think those moments are necessary to carry you through that full two and a half hours. Yes, yes. But it's still... Kind ne- of a reset button almost. Yes, but it never takes you out of... It will never take you out of the grimness of war. Yeah. Ever. And like, but even though you have those moments, definitely like you said, I didn't watch the original, Mm -hmm. but there was never ever any moment where there was such an imbalance of going from horrors of war to elated happiness to horrors of war. You know, those happiness moments, tough to say they're really happy, you know, for sure. 
uh, and, or even just getting it confused a little bit for for the audience. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't pay attention through it, but uh, one of our characters gets injured in the original one, and mm-hmm. he's very like rah rah, like let me get back at him, fix me up, doc, you know. And that doesn't tell the right story. That's not conveying right. the right message, you know. And, and certainly in similar type of hospital medic scenes in this one, I mean, it's it's, it's, a, it's a whole nother game. So um, in, in a very good way, uh, I was finding this film to be uh, a much better execution than the original. And again, yes, I did watch it first. So if there's a bias there, possibly, but there's... You know, no, I think I mean, the bias I, comes from watching in, in, in 22. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, and that that's okay because the mm-hmm. whole point is what's it like in the here and now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's... That's where I my, my one note for the uh, for the uh, the originals review is you know I was really challenged with the watching in modern day type mm-hmm. of assumption yeah. you know I really kind of pushed it especially with these two being compared side by side so I, I would say you know a very interesting soundtrack as well and more modern than expected for a period piece uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of just bangs and smashes on percussion I was really digging it also the sound design in general I felt was excellent here the foley work of the recording of ambience in scenes I thought was very impressive if anything so much so that kind of a a misstep to have this a digital release in Netflix I would have loved to watch this in a theater with a good sound system behind oh it. I was thinking I cannot tell you how much mm-hmm, I was thinking that mm-hmm. now luckily I have an okay TV system right. but nothing I would have loved to see this oh, in a yeah. proper good theater absolutely IMAX I or mean, some sort of Dolby Atmos Dolby kind of, Atmos where it's mm-hmm, at yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I agree um, with you on that. The, the music, I was almost in the beginning, mm-hmm. I was not liking it. I was <laughs> it like, did seem a little cartoonish uh, at first, right? It was just like, here we go, Netflix, you know? <laughs> here we go. For the most part, it hits. I will say, if it's one rung down on that ladder, on that mm-hmm. great ladder, <laughs> Is because there again that dazzle effect mm-hmm. or that un that fresh newness that we get mm-hmm. with the constant ticking in the back of Dunkirk. You sure, know, again, sure. nothing was re or things were redone in this. Nothing mm-hmm. was was born from this. Right, right. Or out of this, you know. I think you're and, feeling it's derivative. Uh, yeah, of, of what's been out already. It's tough to say. Yes, but it's tough to say derivative because mm-hmm. it does stand. This film does stand alone. Yeah. Um, on its it stands on its own, I should say. What did you say? Your your main comment of music was a little bit more modern than I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Not ter- experimental. Not terrible, yeah. but a little surprising in areas. Yeah, right. yeah. Because you're thinking it's going to be this like World War One period piece, and yeah, not the music did not m- maybe match. It matched maybe in it wasn't in right. Tone. It wasn't like yeah. no Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> He's bringing out the the pitchfork for, for Baz, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. modern, but not. Um, you won't be hearing groans in the theater because they chose yes. to go down that route. Exactly, yet. exactly. If anything, uh, just one last note with the sound design. Um, just how the last twenty minutes really saved the whole thing in the original film. I would say the first twenty to thirty really cement my feelings on this film. There's a great early example where we have a segment of. Outfits, oh, not outfits, uh, uniforms from the battlefield being brought and refurbished. Uh, and the, an early example of just how much care is put into the sound design is that we have a, you know, almost an armada of sewing machines and machines ticking away that mimic the machine guns that we have on the battlefield. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. just really the, the, the first 20 minutes, especially up until when the young boys are recruited, really, that that's where the, I felt the, the film was in full stride. If if anything, I felt this maybe rendition was a little bit too long. Uh, it, it does go on 
a touch long for especially for how much we're beaten down with it but uh it's a minor point because i think it is no much I, more I, I think it's a good point i will say it felt like a two hour and 45 or three hour movie oh for sure uh, that it should have been two and a half hours is what it felt like. However, yeah. it was two hours and 28 and mm. probably could have knocked 15 minutes off. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I don't know. It's it's funny that you're saying that in the beginning mm-hmm. because I wasn't loving the beginning when I was watching no, okay. it. But the more I thought about it was just like, what does this set up what mm-hmm. we're about to see so well? Because mm-hmm. it's one of the, really the darkest <laughs> parts of the film, oh, actually, yeah. when you actually think about it especially, and reflect on it. Yeah, especially in the the tools of war being repurposed for the next generation coming to the to the Western Front. Yes. It was very grim. And too. if only these four boys knew yes. the first ten minutes of the film, yep. it just would have told everything Absolutely. for them. You know. Yeah. It, it, but we never lose that sight. We never that's always in the focus. And yes. I think that's why again this stands uh, leagues above the original, and again, I, I, you know, I mean, film enthusiasts, you may crucify me for that, uh, for that saying that, but that that really is the truth no, of where no. I'm coming from. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm on board. I didn't see the original, but I don't think I, I don't think I have to to understand. You know, this yeah. is a good movie, and for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll end with this. Uh, my original note for this film was that it was too brutal for its own good, uh, and it was something that I reflected on huh. quite a bit. I felt in ways. Um, I mean, we've we've honestly talked about a lot of specific scenes so I don't want to give too too much away just to not flirt with spoilers but in ways I was excited originally to watch the original because I said maybe something could be done more through dialogue maybe something could be done through conversations with the soldiers uh, instead of having it through action and through war man uh, I'll uh, I, I went completely 180 after watching the original and, mm. and wound up appreciating this a lot more because of its commitment to the combat and to the brutality of it you know I think it's a really a, a case of a perfect storm uh, the German release the horaf- horrific realities of war and the never breaking focus on the critical insight in how soldiers fill the boots on the battlefields, I would say this remake is worth everyone's time. We're going to go ahead and give All Quiet on the Western Front, 2022, oh. and 85. Hey! Another big boy. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> this is uh, two big boys Boy, in, in I, one episode. That's a new one. I was just like, is he going to go 79? Or is <laughs> he going to put it in the must-watches? Is he going to put it... I love it that you gave it an 85%. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the best Netflix Thing made or best mm. best film made since Beasts of No Nations. Okay, and I really like Beasts of No I, Nations. I love that comparison, which was yeah. Netflix's first major film. Right, right, and also was in theaters a little bit. Yeah, this film, I was like, do I give? Oh, I give? What do I give? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah one of the say, nuances. The bit. more I don't know, but it, are we gonna go it be, Tommy Boots? It became <laughs> Tommy <Combat> Boots. <laughs> it became really a no brainer, and the more I reflect on it, the more I enjoyed it. I can't wait to go back and watch this mm-hmm. when I don't want to ruin my day or just like you know what I mean when I'm mentally <laughs> right. prepared. Prepared for it, <laughs> right? Um, but even when looking at 1917, looking at Dunkirk, mm-hmm. all these films of such high production mm-hmm. um, made kind of in in recent years of, of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it does still stand on a great ladder, yeah, yeah. and it stands on its own completely. Uh, this gets a full on Tommy Two Shoes, Two Laces tied, <laughs> Two Laces. We're buttoned up and ready to go to, to war. To the bootstraps, we are ready to go. <laughs>
<laughs> That's great. first one besides Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. This was a podcast for records. Uh, I love this movie though. Yeah, I yeah. really, really like this movie. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. Uh, Do you think it's the best thing that they've done since Beasts of No Nations? I would have to see a list. Okay, um, but yeah, I think that's a. It's certainly a, as far as like war and combat being a focus. I mean, this movie uh, drug no nations is similar intensity yes. to it as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah. A great war movie that just it it just wore you down with yeah. the characters. Yeah. And for all the good reasons of what filmmaking is, it to- yeah. it just transports you completely. Absolutely, it really did. It really did. And and just for folks at home, the curious around Dunkirk in nineteen seventeen, both of those are eighty sevens for the podcast and for the website. Right, and this got eighty five. Uh, and, and and I mean to the point, like you you said, a couple rungs. It's, it's <laughs> one or two. You know, it's, it's right there though. Uh, and a I great had, watch. I had one thought. Mm-hmm. I wish. I wish Mel Gibson waited to make Hacksaw Ridge until <laughs> these films came out. Really? Mm-hmm. I think I think Hacksaw Ridge was the last war film made that mm-hmm. you could throw in the older basket. Oh, okay. Um, I f- did not really like Hacksaw Ridge all that much. Yeah, I can't and say. And lazy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought cinematography was kind of boring. There was mm-hmm. just things about it. It's just for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. It was lackluster. Mm-hmm. And I think Mel Gibson is actually quite good at doing some crazy stuff on sure. film. Yeah, absolutely. Look at Apocalypto. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I almost think that would have been such an amazing more product mm-hmm. if it came out after these. Yeah, maybe just, just some understanding what some of the peers are doing. Yeah. Uh, so all preps to, uh, or props to Edward Berger. Yeah. I hope we see more from him. He has I mean, one other movie that I think is like a full feature release, but yeah, uh, serious Because the production on this was ridiculous. Yeah. You know? I found it fascinating as well, your note of, of, of some of his incentive, or not incentive, but some of his um, mindset in coming to me. Yeah, his film. passion behind it. And yeah. His, yeah. I think it carries through really well. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks good on for, Netflix. Yeah. That good, yeah, finally. Yeah, finally. <laughs> and, but now I got, then after watching, I'm pissed off because it's just like, y'all should, why, what, where is... This the is the billboards. Same. Put this in theaters for a little bit. Netflix does that sometimes. This I, is the I, same thing with you. With uh, Ring of Powers. You were like scratching your head over the advertising of it. I, yeah, Ring of Powers is way better than this. Yeah, yeah. This deserves to be put out there. Mm-hmm. And I hope people do talk about it for Oscars. I hope there's some sort of campaign from them because we're not seeing it anywhere. Right, right. Um, I just think it's a shame. This is We're in weekend number three coming up with this. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, it's been two, yeah, two weekends sure. and it's just like, what do you, this is an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Please, guys. And it's mm-hmm. a huge, again, if, you, if you're going to, if Netflix is going to throw money at Edward Berger to make this unbelievable, huge story and intellectual property, mm-hmm. can you make it, can you, can you just, you know, do a little bit more? <laughs> Shovel it <laughs> out a little, a little bit more for, for us? Deserves to be told. <laughs> uh, it's all quiet on the Western Front with an 85 from Finn, with Tommy Two Shoes, Two Laces Tied. Uh, big week. Oh, big week. That's what Looking I was... at these, yeah, like we said, we're going long but this is a week that deserves to go long a little bit absolutely Anything else you want to touch on? Wrap up, Vin? Um, roll credits? What do you want to do? No, no. I mean, maybe just to reiterate that, uh, again, I was coming in very numb to film, very tired of film, and I... I my, my very co- tired of film. Uh-oh. <laughs> but uh, my my assumptions were kind of shoved back in my face uh, when I was coming out, again, not only able to recognize a good film, but, re- you know, experience it as good as well. So... Uh, that was uh, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. What a, it's a huge week. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it is a huge week. <laughs> it's unbelievable Vesper week. needs to get the boot. Nowhere that's to the go only but outlier. down. Nowhere to go but down, <laughs> unfortunately, for next week. Yeah. Uh, Vince, thank you so much for finding the time and watching these films for us. Thanks for stopping by. 
Folks at home will run it down one more time. We have the original All Quiet on the Western Front with a 74%, Sweet Smell of Success with an 89, Loving Vincent with a 70, Vesper with a 55, and All Quiet on the Western Front in 2022 with an 85%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.